This episode of the Eight Dimension podcast is dedicated to Sid Haig, the recently departed star of House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and Tree from Hell. He was a icon, a legend, and uh, a all-round gentleman by all accounts. So uh, this one's for you, Sid. Evil! Pure and simple from the Eighth Dimension! The search for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with police. Chances for survival are less than a million to one. There's no justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us, but we just do it. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Surprise, motherfucker. It's uh, the Eight Dimension back for one more round. So. Uh, in September, I announced uh, that the Eight Dimension was coming to an end. I'm not going to go into the reasons why here because I've kind of I've outlined it quite well in a, an Instagram post and on Facebook. But the last episode, unfortunately, for poor Richard who is here with me, Rob Zombie special. I say unfortunately because it seems like he it, don't want to make him feel like he broke it. It it felt to me that we'd spoken so much about Tree from Hell and talked about what we thought it was going to be that there would be an unfinished chapter if we did not talk about Tree from Hell. So this is one last episode, I swear. This is the actual last episode. This is not the No More Tours of um, of podcast episodes, but this is one last episode of The Eight Dimension, and we are talking about Rob Zombie's Tree from Hell. And with me today is... Is Richard. <laughs> no, this is an awful lot like fucking Three from Hell. You know, it's like the sequel that just like you know, no one knew they wanted. You know, no one knew they wanted. Man, I hope they will. I, I, as I said on the last episode for Three from Hell, I said about it. I said I was more excited for it than any other movie this year. I'll get, I'll get into what I feel about it. But um, so how since since we last spoke, you've you've just shot the first block on your new movie, Bring Out the Fear. Yeah, that's it. So it's just I showed you just before we started recording. I showed you a clip from it, yeah, probably with really a cool. shot. <laughs> but um, yeah. So we're in like literally once we finish up today, I have to kind of start continuing organizing all that because we have another three day block next oh, week. Wow. Um, and then that's the Thank majority so of things done. Oh no, geez, not all. But um, yeah, like really happy. Like it's the last film I did in a stranger's house was set found footage, and it was just me. So it was really like you know very what's it called just insular one person one man show yeah, yeah, yeah whereas this one like i have a camera operator i've got a dp or i've got like an assistant director i've got actors i've got all these kind of things so it's a bit more of a bigger operation now yeah. still madly minuscule you know yeah, we're yeah, all yeah. looking bags around on our backs and all but you see me and like out in the freezing cold and all but like loving what we've been getting so far it's like it's tough but it also kind of reminds you why you have that passion to do these things so i'm really i'm mad excited to kind of I've been getting some of the scenes together and I can't wait to start getting them into shape so I can show that's people awesome. or start showing people that's like clips awesome or trailers yeah, and that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. That's like, really cool. Man. But obviously I have to wait until I finish shooting yeah. the thing before I can start doing anything like that. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, Tree from Hell, I haven't asked you, uh, I, I said to you when we were in the car over here because Richard very graciously picked me up and brought me to, we were in the location from In a Stranger's House. So I'm taking you on a tour of different media places in Ireland, <laughs> um, you know, Virgin Media last time, In a Stranger's House this time. But, uh, I said to him in the car, I said, uh, I'm not going to ask you what you thought. Because in messages you had said to me, I enjoyed the first half anyway. And I was like, oh, I think we might have slightly different opinions. I was, okay, so I will say on this, on this, uh, on this film. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to put a dedication up top. But RIP Sid Haig, because after we read, rap, recorded the first episode in September, mm. uh, Sid passed away. We'll get into Sid in the movie 
and uh, how little he is in the film but it's kind of it was kind of clear around the time that the film came out just how ill he was but we still kind of I, I was still a little bit surprised when he passed um he seemed to be a legend and like an all-around gentleman by every account that i'd heard of him so mm. it's really sad but um every time we do an episode there's someone who's passed because last <laughs> time it was rucker hauer but uh so what what did you think to treat from hell anyway with all the expectations that we discussed in the previous episode well i don't know how to tell you this but i never actually watched it no no i didn't <laughs> No, um, no. I think like saying like I like the first half. I think it's probably as kind of concise as I can be because I really I thought the first half of the film was really good. I think last time we talked about that kind of that want of it to be almost a documentary style. Yeah. Um. Because for people who haven't seen or for people oh, yeah, who haven't seen the, the way, film, I guess yeah. Spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> I'm just going all in on this one. But um, yeah. So the first half of the film is it starts off a bit Manson family esque kind of uh, newsreel documentaries, kind of setting things up. Then you have them in the prisons and all, and you're basically getting to their breakout and all. Um, and I think that's probably the most rejectsy kind of vibe of the film. Mm. The last half of it, though, kind of uh, transplants its place, uh, transplants itself into Mexico. Yeah. And that part of the film just kind of didn't do much for me. Like, it's fine, you know? But that's yeah. all. It, like, it, the, if the second half of the film could have lived up to what the first half was, maybe it would have been a bit more enjoyable for me. But... Uh, Overall, though, like I, I don't look at that film and go, oh, why didn't they just leave well enough alone, you know? I think yeah. the, the first half has enough in there that really kind of gets me excited. And, like, I'm sure we'll go into a little bit more depth about that, but uh, how yeah, about definitely. you? So, like, I mean, what was your, after, like, all these years and, like, you know, coming back from a film that thought there was going to be no sequel to it, you know, what did you think? Well, I mean, first off, what, 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 what ways, in what ways were my predictions right and what ways were my predictions wrong? I said uh, that I thought that Spalding wasn't going to be a big part of it. But I actually even thought that there was going to be more of Spalding than there actually was. Yeah. I thought that he would be like on the Firefly in the second film that we keep coming back to him. Yeah. I think Sid Haig is in this movie for less than six minutes, something he's, like that. He's very literally a scene and a couple of shots in the documentary. Yeah. He's, and he's very unceremoniously dumped off screen, like killed off. killed off screen. And, yeah. I mean, I guess in a way, maybe that was done in, in a way that, you know, if his health got better, he could have been brought back into the series yeah. as like, he wasn't actually killed because you never saw it happen. Yeah. But... Uh, that was kind of the first surprise and then I thought that it was going to be more of the trial or more of the, more of a prison movie which is a big part of it but it's not all of the film. I really enjoyed it. The first time I watched it I think I wrote on Letterboxd a four star review. I really really liked it. There's a lot to like about this film once you get into it. I watched it again last night and I logged it again and I gave it 3.5. So it has, <laughs> it has lost a star in the intervening time. But there's a lot that now first of all like so I, I would be want not to mention my uh, my friend Lisa Hayden, who said that who despises this film and thinks that it is a uh, thinks that it is a black mark against the Devil's Rejects, and really has issue with uh, Otis wearing a sombrero for some reason. But um, at Haraton, then me and this other guy Donald, we just kept saying it's uh, our like catchphrase of Haraton is "Oh come on, it's not that bad, Lisa," because we always like stuff that she thinks is awful. Yeah, and uh, we kept just saying that about uh, about Tree from Hell. But uh, I, I, I think that it definitely, in a way, cheapens the devil, ending of Devil's Rejects for me. Yeah. And it feels a bit like a story that was kind of fired out. Like, it feels a little very inconsequential. I think just because of the fact the second half doesn't go anywhere. I mean, the second half could... You could lose that second half of the film and replace it with anything else and it would yeah. have the exact same impact. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. It really just becomes another episode. not say that I, there's not stuff that I don't enjoy in it. I, there's a lot that I enjoy about it. I really I there's a lot that I enjoy um and we'll get into that. I think that it's it it's definitely feels inconsequential. It's a very different film. It's a very different film. 
it's almost at I kind of thought felt at points like it's like Rob went you know I don't know how much they got that the last movie was meant to be a western so let's really mm-hmm. make this one into a western and there's a lot of stuff that's really really cool about it I think one of the the biggest flaws for me is the is the CG there's a lot oh. of CG in this movie now the uh, document the, the feature line documentary that's on the blu-ray to Helen back that's worth getting the blu-ray for that alone and that's brilliant and that shows you how much uh, CG is in the movie some of it which you'll never notice some of which is very fucking noticeable. Yeah, well, this is it. Like, so, I mean, the film they shot in 20 days. Yeah. And I guess, so they, because they had so much, like, you know, big fight scenes and all, that's why they had to do the CG. But, I mean, like you're saying, the things that are very obvious, you're talking about things like the blood, the gunshots. I can't I mean, stand the gunshots. And I don't know what it is. I mean, they feel like the colours are completely wrong. Like, it's, like, from a different reality, you know? Yeah. And There's a scene where uh, one of Black Satan shoots up the room that Otis is in with yeah. the two prostitutes, and nothing, none of the impacts in that room are real it's all done with cg that has like a mirror break and all that yeah, as well, yeah. doesn't it? and but it's amazing though Every, then you see things like and i think it's probably in the trailer when like baby uh, shoots the bow and arrow yeah like, i mean all of that is cg like yeah. she doesn't actually have a bow in her hand she doesn't pull the string back there's no string like, it's all cg and that stuff works absolutely yeah. great you know i mean at the end there was the thing where when there's the machete fight between otis and the <laughs> big dude in the black satans there's a great bit on the documentary where they reveal that they had like rubber knives and they had wooden one, uh, rubber machetes and wooden ones. And as soon as the first time that they hit the two wooden machetes off each other, they smashed. And so they had to use the rubber ones. So all of that stuff with the machetes is is digitally redone to make yeah. them straight and not bendy. And that stuff, the stuff with like the, the digital string on the arrow, yeah. the digital arrows. Now some of the digit the shots of the arrows coming towards the the, the camera they look a bit fake yeah. but some of that stuff is in, the very subtle effects is incredible some of it doesn't work and the thing is that in Devils there is the, the knife that Baby throws at Priscilla Barnes' chest is CG like there's actually more CG in Devil's Rejects than we remember mm. but it, there's something about it that doesn't work and I, I just I prefer seeing the squibs on people than seeing the kind of um the kind of fake CG effects yeah. that's one of the biggest problems for me and you got to imagine like even with this like the film even though it came around, like, you know, there's a popularity of Rob Zombie and of these characters. But, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the budget for this one was less than the last one. It's a I lot mean, less than the Rejects. I know the last documentary for, like, Devil's Rejects is 30 Days in Hell. Like I said, this one was 20 Days. Yeah. Like, all the effects they did, like, they were all very truncated. And, like, even when you go back to things like Sid Haig, you know, when he talks about quite close to the shooting, that they had to kind of completely rewrite his character out. And yeah. so putting in a new character and all this kind of thing. Like, you got to imagine, like, I mean, the film, it's a continuation on, but it doesn't necessarily feel like... Like you're saying, a worthy story to be told or anything like that. No, and it it does have a bit of a kind of a cheap vibe to it. If the, I would kind of have to say, I think something like Thirty One is last film before this probably has a bit more production value to it. Uh, I I was thinking about Thirty One after we talked about it, I and mean, you talked about how I think it was fair to say we we both actually enjoy Thirty One, um, and how you said it, it's kind of good in spite of it not being really a story. Mm. Uh, spoiler for 31 <laughs> but one of the things about 31 that I, I thought about afterwards is that at the end of 31 Sherry's uh, Sherry's character is able to survive because basically because Doomhead keeps talking and time runs out it's like there's no reason for her yeah. escape other than if he had stopped monologuing about you know was the best Che Guevara talking about cigars and all this mm. stuff she would have been able, so it's like there's the story's so inconsequential in that movie but I don't you know I enjoy it you know let's kind of get into it so like the movie begins with a shot of uh, apparently unused footage of them driving in the car from Devil's Rejects. And then it's the title comes up, 
really poorly. Really poorly, yeah. <laughs> Gunshots, blood, and then it goes into the documentary, which is narrated by the narrator on the documentary is Barry Bostwick. He of Rocky Horror and uh, Megaforce, which we covered on the Eight Dimension podcast before. So he's a voiceover. This stuff, and it sets up that, you know, they survived the... And you see press clippings, and it sets up that they survived the being shot at at the end of Devil's Rejects. And it, over the course of a year, they came out of a, a coma. Or they, they came back to the land of the living, basically. And this documentary kind of sets up where they're at. There's So with Sid, yeah, like you said, it was, it was I think I believe it was six weeks before the movie was made. Rob had had intention of putting him in the film. And I believe Lionsgate said they would only give the money if, if, uh, if Sid was in the movie. But he went to meet Sid and he realised how sick Sid was and that he, Sid wasn't going to be able to do the full movie. What did, So it talks about, uh, it sets up Sid for uh, Spalding, first of all. What did you think of Spalding's scene? He just has a scene where he's interviewed in the prison. It's good. I mean, like, at this point it kind of felt like it was, um, what would you say, almost like the notoriety of, like, you know, that character was kind of outweighing the actual like, characters, the actors' portrayal of characters. I don't know if you ever heard that where some actors talk about it's hard to go back into a role in a sequel mm. sometimes because suddenly they've done it before, so now they're no longer performing the character. They're now performing the film version of the character. Yeah, yeah. I think Johnny Depp says the same for mm. like, um, Pirates of the Caribbean something like that. Mm. But, um, I, I mean, I thought it was a good scene. You know, I mean, as last scenes go, it's not a bad way from the going yeah. all, but... Uh, and it was it was very nice to see him on it. I was expecting a little bit more, like you say, like um, the Mother Firefly from the second one, um, like a bit more of that, like a bit yeah. more intercutting with it maybe. Um, so I was a bit surprised that it was this one scene. Again, not too bad. There was one scene, but then like suddenly off screen, he's they sort of point out or they say that he's been executed. Yeah, he says uh, the only thing he says is I I send my love to my family and friends, and then that's the end of him. And the the kind of, I like the documentary stuff. Uh, to me is cool it's really good it, it really manages to get this look mm. of you know what the the kind of it nails the period in terms of the documentary style the Zeus music works really well here basically it sets up that there's the, the, the rejects have kind of got a cult following you have like people wearing the free the tree t-shirts you have um, Cher's uh, son has a cameo as he's the oh. You have like people talking about how hot they think Baby is and, and how hot they think Otis is. And that's real to me because if you look at how people talk about how hot Ted Bundy was and stuff. Yeah. And that's that's awesome. And it sets up the uh, Warden character who is played by Jeff Daniel Phillips, Warden Virgil Harper. And he's introduced, he's interviewed as part of the documentary. There's stuff with the, the cult around them and the trial and stuff like that. Like all we really see of the trial is them before they go in. And it, it it's just kind of just them on the court, on the on the stairwell before they go into the trial I really thought there was going to be more of the trial and there's not really any of that but yeah but even with the kind of truncated version of it what I kind of felt was that and I think I'd said before that this is what I was hoping it would be is that it kind of did almost what Natural Born Killers was trying to do with a lot of that kind of the like you know the celebritizing of yeah, uh, yeah, these yeah. kind of horrible people and I always thought like Natural Born Killers even though I like the film there's a lot of stuff I don't like about it I think stylistically it kind of feels untrue to me yeah. whereas this one I thought felt a bit more sincere and even though like the characters the ones who were like oh yeah free the tree and all this kind of thing they still feel very um, even though they're quite char- like over the top caricatures yeah. it still feels quite appropriate for the film you know yeah. and it feels like it works within the context of everything that's there I know that Rob Zombie was kind of 
basing uh, like the style of that off of these, um, I don't know if it was Manson newsreels or if there was a documentary about all that uh, stuff with the Manson women. So I don't know if maybe even, I don't know if those involve courtroom footage as well or not. So maybe there's a part to it that could be that. Although I'd say more likely budget was kind of what dictated yeah. the fact it was no courtroom. They filmed in that, in, in an old, in, a, in a, a kind of abandoned women's prison in LA, which I believe is the same prison that the Slayer Repentless video was shot in. That, that it really looks quite cool the one thing there's the scene where Otis is in his jail cell being interviewed and this is like a very maybe it sounds like a minor gripe but it does point to something about the production is that his tattoo looks too fresh the mm. tattoo on his chest it looks like someone's just transferred it there mm. whereas if you look at Spalding's tats and stuff in, in the other films they look so old and, and like weathered and like yeah. that somebody's actually had that on their body for a long time mm. as opposed to Otis's one there that just looks like a transfer that stuff is happening it kind of sets up uh, it, and then the moment where it breaks from the documentary format into the real world kind of format uh, much like District 9 kind of does at a certain point where and it still kind of has a bit of the kind of mock doc style to it is uh, when there's a scene where Otis is being brought out kind of like to smash rocks as part of like a work or prison chain gang kind of scheme and he's in the he's in the truck, and Rondo down Danny Trejo's character is one of the unholy two is in the truck, and Mosley looks at him, and he's like Otis looks at him, and he's like he uh, Rondo doesn't recognize him, and then it kind of cuts to a bit where it says uh, the documentary filmmakers did not survive this day, and then it cuts to uh, we see Rondo crawling towards the camera, and uh, Richard Brake's character Foxy is behind him and he's kind of shooting around and then Otis walks up to uh, Rondo puts a gun to his head and said you remember me now motherfucker and blows his brains out and then it cuts to Jeff Daniel Phillips character and his wife are kind of watching the TV uh, watching that on the TV in their house and that's where it kind of it kind of breaks from that format let's talk about Foxy what did you think to him this is like I, Richard Brake I am a fucking huge fan of yeah and like I think he did great with it I don't, I don't know I was trying to think of, I was thinking about this when I was driving earlier on like Something about it didn't sit great with me, and I don't know if it's because just because he's a new character, and I know that maybe Spalding was supposed to be in that role. Because I mean, I like the dynamic between him and um, Otis in particular. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, the fact that he's trying to like you know seem like the big man, even though he's not really got much going on. You know, he's got the small man complex throughout the entire thing. You know, yeah, where yeah. like his siblings are these people, like you know, the devil's rejects, and he's just like you know, who is this guy? You know, yeah. Um, I I, I really like. I mean, he does a fucking stellar performance and everything. Um. But yeah, I, I can't tell if maybe it's just because he's so new. It's like when a new character inter- comes yeah, into a show, yeah. you know? So I don't know if maybe that was throwing me off him a little bit. Cause, like, what is he, he a bit Don and Buffy free? <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit. But like, it's, it's, it's a bit poochy. That's it. So, I mean, it's always hard when a character that you've never seen before kind of comes in and stuff. And, like, I guess in a way, you know, the original House uh, House of a Thousand Corpses has so many members of the family who just kind of never really show up again, almost. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's not uh, unthinkable that this person would exist. I think like because the first time that I watched it I was like oh he's Otis's half brother and then when I watched it again last night I was like no he's Otis and baby's half brother I was like that's a little less believable the Mm. idea that they have this half brother who we've not heard anything about now I will say credit to Rob Zombie man six weeks to completely rewrite the movie Mm. in in that regard and to completely rewrite the characters fair play some of my favorite I love Richard breaking this I think some of my I love Foxy some of my favorite bits in this movie which I'll get to involved the interplay between uh, Otis and Foxy I think he's great I love how he's so insecure about his own level of infamy I love how he's he's. it seems as the movies goes on he's constantly having to prove himself in terms of his level of brutality and stuff mm-hmm. like that but basically what happens then is that the so the, the film kind of 
is based around uh, Otis and Foxy are out they talk about wanting to do a home invasion and talking about springing baby mm. babies in jail there is a great aspect of the film is Dee Wallace is Greta they're kind of um, definitely portrayed as, as that she's at least somewhat sexually interested in baby prison warden the kind of like which is a real trope of kind of like even prisoner cell block H and women in prison movies like the lesbian prison warden is definitely a, a trope of those films but I, I love Dee Wallace as Greta I thought she was brilliant yeah 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 so we've got the warden character played by Jeff Daniel Phillips Warden Virgil there is uh, Kevin Jackson's character Jared James he's a member of the parole board and he is married to uh, Heather who is friends with Judy Virgil's wife and uh, we have the scene where uh, Baby is brought before the parole board and she is just fucking crazy. And I, I really like that scene. That was really cool. And then there's some stuff with that where uh, at the end of that scene, Baby freaks out. She ends up breaking Greta's nose and then Greta's revenge kind of brings Baby out and brings her onto this like subterranean section yeah. of the prison. And these kind of two very scarred, vicious looking kind of women co- prisoners come in and I, she set it up so that they're going to kill baby and it's one scene where this kind of like in 31 the kind of like very messy kind of fight scene thing happens but it actually works because in this section because it's a misdirect because you just see stuff like screams and stabs mm. and then Greta's having a cigarette and she thinks it's time to come back and baby's standing there and the two women's guts are all over the place and she's she's got she's cut up but she's won and uh then there's like Greta, uh, baby sent to the infirmary and she Virgil's asking her what happened and there's a scene where where Greta kind of says like you know thanks for, you know that's good that you didn't wrap me out stitches get stitches snitches get stitches although you've got stitches and then there's like the one scene in this movie there's the scene where she's looking through like for, baby in this movie is insane like you keep telling these stories about like a, a lost cat at the side of the road and singing like these weird little these weird little songs as she's going around mm. which I really enjoyed but there's the scene where she's in her cell where she kind of looks through the grate and she sees like the cat person mm. in like this little kind of ice cave dancing around yeah. that's this very kind of woman in the radiator from uh, Eraserhead but it was like to me it was like it was like it's like this is now the bit uh, we have to have one scene of Halloween 2 <laughs> Lords of Salem type yeah. weirdness in a Rob Zombie movie now yeah. it didn't seem disruptive I actually no, liked no. it but yeah it, but that's it, it, her character kind of has a kind of journey into this film like you know I mean she's not just kind of the psycho character that you kind of see in the first two films like the fact that she is someone who it seems like the fact that she has been like holed up in prison for so many years and um, like you know I guess isn't the implication that she's kind of uh, in a lot of solitary confinement and stuff yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of it has broken her and it's affected her horribly and like I think that that's a nice angle to it because even when she gets out she carries an awful lot of that baggage with yeah, her as well you know? a, yeah she, she um, does crazy shit and you see an awful lot of things like later on in the film when she's out with the guys and all like she, they're kind of going like Jesus Christ like hold on there a second yeah, yeah, pull yeah. the reins a little bit and I think that's kind of it's nice to see that kind of uh, evolution of her character a bit and even for Sherry Moon Zombie in terms of acting as well like I thought that the role felt maybe because the role felt a bit meatier or maybe yeah. it's just because it had more going on because her playing baby like it never something about it always annoyed me it always felt like someone playing the kind of baby the, the kind of evil cutesy role or whatever that's Whereas, so bad out of context baby lovers <laughs> I, I'm one of the big defenders of baby um, but yeah I, I know what you mean but like I love her in this like, scene that will come out after she's like after she's stabbed uh, 
the woman at the end of the home invasion when she comes back in she's just singing this weird song to herself and she's like with the cupcakes and it's like what this I really like her in this but um, Virgil and Jared go back to Virgil's house and when they get in the two boys have done a home invasion they're in there waiting for them and there's a lot of this well, that's, this is like the big set piece yeah, of the, the, particularly at the beginning of the film the home invasion set piece uh, what did you think to this section of the movie so basically there's a home invasion uh, they fuck with the two women and the two lads. Uh, uh, Otis uh, lets Jared go and then shoots him. I don't like... He does it about three times in this film. Otis says, I'll let somebody go and then shoots them. And I'm like, it <laughs> stops being surprising after a while. Um, they fuck with them. Foxy takes out an urn of ashes belonging to Judy's mom and starts throwing them around the place. And then they, car- they hire this... They ring this party clown... Um, which is probably one of the highlights of the film yeah, the, clown just, the clown walks in and like walks into the room to see the people tied up and the guns it's like oh and uh, he comes in Mr. Baggy Britches and then they like they do this thing where it's like if you can make me laugh we don't, won't kill you like that's really that's really great especially just like it's a great shot of him trolling like um trying like like kind of like spark like sparkles into the air and it's like shot like really slow motion <laughs> like the phantom cam kind of effect it looks really cool um but what what like what did you this felt very much like let's do another hostage situation yeah well that's what I was gonna say is it's exactly like the um, hotel scene from yeah. or the motel scene from uh, Devil's Rejects and I mean I guess maybe like maybe that's by design maybe there's supposed to be kind of a symmetry between the two yeah, films I because think it is, yeah. I mean like the first one like this one starts off with getting out of a prison and then like there's the this hostage scene whereas Reject starts with like getting out of the farmhouse and then having the hotel part hotel hostage situation. And, like, I mean, even the second halves of both films kind of have a sort of symmetry to them. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that was kind of the intention with it, or maybe that's just kind of the way that the style kind of worked out for it. But I don't know, I thought this scene was kind of one of the highlights because it's kind of where you get to see them kind of be a bit evil, a bit dark, a bit too dark, you know? Yeah. Especially when, like, you know, when he's fucking around with the ashes and things like that. That's kind of where you kind of, I guess, you as a viewer, you kind of, you draw your line. Like, I mean, is that kind of something that's weird or is that something that's a bit disturbing to you or is that something you're okay yeah. with? Um, which is some of the greatness of yeah. Rob Zombie like and one of my as well one thing I really like is I wasn't mad surprised when he like you know is it Otis shoots um, Mr. Baggy Bridges played by not, Kent Howard by the way yeah. not even about him uh, what's the name of the not the warden the other character Jared yeah Jared Jared um, Jared James Jared James so he shoots him and um, and then you kind of think oh, okay well it doesn't shock me that he's killed him because that tends to be their MO with it but then, you know, he's still alive. And, like, he basically, he's alive for, like, another 24 hours or something like that. So I thought that was interesting that it, in a film like this where it's, like, you know, you're offing people at an alarming rate. And even let's, like, quickly hop back to, like, you know, Danny Trejo's character being offed so abruptly as well. Like, yeah, his character yeah. was quite big in Devil's Reject and he's a big name, Danny Trejo. Yeah. Um, like, almost it's a cameo of so many that brilliant way. straight-to-video <laughs> movies where his face has not totally been photoshopped onto the cover. Like... <laughs> But um, it's that kind of thing, though. It's uh, you're. It's just. It's just kind of unexpected that like you know these other characters are all really kind of you know, off and gone very quick and like kind of swept under the rug. Same for Captain Spaulding. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one character, like he's shot and he's still alive and they kind of you know he has a purpose and things. You know, he's like you know he's there. He needs like medical attention. Uh, they've upped the kind of threat of like you know they have to get baby out of prison or else things are like yeah. you, know, they, you know they have a, it's a, it's almost like the ticking time bomb kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the scene like just with the clown, everything about the clown I just absolutely love. You know, does he say some line of like you know it's hard to be funny when you're like yeah. scared for your life <laughs> when he puts down the boombox and he presses play and he's like you gotta have funny music <laughs> that's really good um i enjoy this segment but it does feel a bit weak sauce compared to the hostage se- sequence from devil's rejects like 
taking out somebody's ashes, like, is not nice, and throwing them around the place, like, that's not nice, but it, it does, like, I mean, it feels like uh, a, a slap and tickle compared to the gut punch that is the rape with a handgun mm. of Devil's Rejects hostage sequence, and to me, some of that stuff with the ashes stuff, like, felt like, like, trying to be as shocking as the devil's reject scene and you're not going to approach that mm. and i mean like you say it's like you know it's something that makes you question your line and, and definitely if we talk about devils it's like it's 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 a, a, a as i said my favorite a masterpiece best uh great best horror of the arts <laughs> uh, in the smoking area of horror this year i had many a uh, a moment of putting that to people and many people had your reaction which is like I'm not sure <laughs> but I they couldn't think of another one so have you in the intervening time thought of a better horror from the arts oh god I haven't even thought about it. what oh The Grudge The Grudge it's gonna be The Grudge no I don't know um, you can I, say The Grudge every time I, no I like The Grudge but no not not The Grudge definitely not The Grudge but you know The Devil's Rejects is definitely it's it's you know it's a problematic fave for me as well sorry to use that for terminology but it, it's a movie that pushes your fucking boundaries and it's yeah, a movie that's, that that's what these films should be doing oh absolutely you know all consuming fucking brutality but basically Otis says to uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips character you're gonna break my sister out of the clink um, and he goes uh he goes, if I let take those handcuffs off her, she's going to kill me. And then this great moment where Otis oh. is like, he's like, that is true. <laughs> and he goes, know, I'm going to write you a note. And you're going to write a note. I love it. It's so fucking <laughs> it's a, great the one, school. The one moment where Otis goes like, yeah, 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 fair. <laughs> like, that is true. Like, she will do that yeah. if you let her out. Um, and then the next moment, like the next day, Clint Harris gets, uh, not Clint Harris, the, the next day, Jeff Daniel Phillips character gets up. He walks to his car and he drives off to the prison. That scene, fucking great. I love that moment of like, just like, this is the fucking worst day of my life, but I have to get up and do my routine and go about it as if everything's okay. You know? yeah. That that shit's really effective. And me. he's so good. I mean, he plays such a slimy character in it. I mean, he has like the big portrait of himself up over the, up on the wall in the house and things like, you know, he's a scummy character, but at the same time, you Horrible know, like, mustache. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but like, he has, you, you see his family, you see like, you know, his friends and all, and you know, the situation you're all in. And it's a real kind of thing of like, you know, I mean, as shit as he is, does he deserve this kind of thing? And it is, it's just, it really pushes the buttons in all the right kind of ways. Like, I know, pardon me, there's certain elements of the film that are a lot stronger than others. And I mean, maybe that's down to, you know, certain areas, maybe it's trying to one-up the other films and you can't really, or it's just maybe, yeah. maybe it's like a case of maybe Rob Zombie didn't, is at a point in his life where it's like, you know, what else am I going to do to be shocking or whatever? Yeah, and, he, yeah, yeah. and it's either he doesn't want to, or he just doesn't have it in him. Yeah. Or else maybe it's a case of he just doesn't care to do it. It's like, you know, okay, well let's get this stuff out of the way for like, you know, those fans who want this kind of, you yeah, know, yeah, those, yeah, the yeah. gore hounds who are there for these kind of, you know, kind of moments, you know, yeah. as opposed to, you know, the parts of the film that might be a bit stronger or like, you know, the story bits like, you know, the documentary bit at the beginning is quite strong. Baby in the prison, I think her psychological moments are quite strong. Her introduction in the movie of her walking, kind of walking down the the, the cell block with mm. um, The Wild One by Susie Quattro playing. Yeah. That's fucking great. I really love that scene. That's mm. really cool. But yeah, he, he goes to the, to the prison. He uh, opens up his desk. He sniffs a load of coke and he like takes out his pistol and is like screaming and stuff. Mm. And we reveal that he's apparently having a, an extramarital thing going on with one mm. of the women working in the prison as well. Which I guess checks with how skeevy a character is. Yeah. You don't have a mustache like that if you're not doing that kind of shit. Yeah, and he basically says um, to bring a prison, gets her to bring a a, uh, a a uniform in and then he gets Greta and some other women to bring Baby up to his office. 
and he tells Greta to leave them alone. And Greta, knowing that some shit's up, and also because I suppose because she's so suspicious of Baby and is so afraid of her, says, uh, I'm going to wait outside. And then uh, Baby changes into the outfit and Greta comes in, Baby kills her. And then it's they go off off to uh to the to the warden's house. We come back to the house. Otis has got um Jared's wife naked on the couch while they're watching this old movie. It's yeah, it's clearly implied that he's you know he's raped her and stuff. And um, they when when the warden shows up, they bring him, drag him into the house, and then chaos ensues, mm-hmm. uh, including uh Heather, uh, basically, Jared is killed. Judy, uh, the war, uh, the warden. He tries to shoot Otis. He ends up shooting his wife, and then Heather is kind of chased by Baby, who gets a knife and chased around. And that scene where she like pulls out a knife and there's a bit of knife play and stuff. That's really cool, I think. Mm. And then Baby chases her around in the street and, and stabs her, and yeah, in front of the old lady across the road. Yeah, and, and just like she's still in the her. warden uniform and all those kind of things. So yeah, the oversized warden the uniform, like the yeah. skirt is like so fucking massive on her and stuff, but like. Well, that stuff was really cool. I really enjoyed that stuff. And then uh, Otis kind of uh, goes up to uh, Virgil at the end of that scene because Virgil's been shot, but he's, he's not dead yet. And uh, Otis kind of says, uh, you remember what you said to me when I first arrived in your prison? He says, uh, this is my debt factory and you're the product. And then he says, this is my debt factory and you're the product. And he kills a Virgil. I really thought that was cool. And there's some nice kind of slow-mo shots of them in prison and stuff mm-hmm. there. And then it's... it's, it's uh, baby takes a native american headdress and bow and arrow and they're like you know cops pigs are on the way we gotta go so they split and uh they go to a motel and uh richard if you could take it from there for what happens for a second because i'm gonna take a drink for my poor voice <laughs> apologies by the way my, if my voice is a bit scratchy i've, I've kind of had something this week i don't know exactly what it is but i've been hitting the lamps up i have to look up because i mean in my mind all that almost happens from there is because it is essentially them getting toward heading towards mexico um, well, there's a motel second segment. Is there a motel segment? Yeah, oh my god! Second, it obviously left a huge impression on me. All, all, all Wikipedia says is now united the tree decide what to do next and decide to flee to Mexico. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's obviously they, they question like the stability of baby. You know, um, she seems like a little bit kind of all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. um, and like I mean, there is that line when she takes the headdress and bow and arrow. It's like you know she's got taking a fucking bow and arrow. Um, yeah so so basically they they split they go to this motel um there's a nice bit where they're kind of watching the tv um and you see that they're kind of bored in the hotel room there's a great bit where they're talking about who's driving and uh foxy says who's known as the midnight it was the midnight fox that's his his uh, criminal nickname foxy complains that he can't drive because of not his night vision and stuff and they they hole up in this hotel room and uh Otis is already kind of saying like she's she's crazy and Foxy's kind of going like you're such a grump like she's just happy to be out of uh, out of prison. Otis, our baby, kind of decides to leave the room from it. Do you notice that there's a Doctor Wolfenstein mm. is back in this movie from the the host the horror host who introduced House of a Thousand Corpses is back on the TV and uh, they see footage of them. They see footage about them escaping. And uh, I love that Fox. He hates the picture that they use of him where he's yeah. wearing a Disco Sucks t-shirt. And uh, Baby kind of wanders around. She meets this dude who's like dressed in a very, what would be uh, on PC for, the, for now, but probably not so, not so uh, frowned upon in the 80s Mexican outfit. And uh, she kind of leads him off to a drink machine and then she kills him. Mm. And then she comes into the, the, the room and goes, floats the idea of Mexico, which she has got from the sombrero. 
and says, oh, by the way, I killed a guy. Mm. And she kills him and writes, baby was here. And yeah. writes, leaves now. It's like, she's so insane. She's just doing these things that are ruthless. There's one scene, um, one moment, um, one moment in the kind of motel kind of sequence that I really love because there's a real genuine reaction to it because apparently... Bill Mosley's reaction to it is real is there's a great moment where Foxy is outlining what the next plan's going to be and he talks about wanting to go into making porno movies and he talks about uh, he talks about um, he talks about making a, a porno and uh, there, there's a scene before where um, these kind of hunters including one hunter who's played by Bill Mosley's wife show up yeah. while kind of uh, while Foxy's kind of like lying ha- asleep and they try they say that they're going to bring them in and they're going to get a reward for them and Foxy starts to distract them by just going on this long, filthy rant where he talks about, imagine your wife's titties now and, like, somebody's shitting on her. I ain't into shitting on people, but... Um, and I then, quite like that as well. That's actually a really harrowing scene because, like, the obviously the wife has to, like, watch her husband be killed in front of her and then, like, knowing that she's... Like, oh, that's the shot of her blood splatter uh, her face. It's like, because you're so missing that, like, v- that visceral, like, physical yeah. splatter in this movie. She gets... He gets his head blown off and she gets... We get an L's, um... And now classic Otis taking somebody's face off and mm. putting it somewhere else kind of thing. But there's in, in this scene, um, Foxy talks about wanting to set up a porno company and he goes into like these really like dirty, filthy details. And uh, he, I love what I love about Foxy is like the suggestion that Foxy, it's like the I don't approve a chicken fucking thing. It's like Foxy clearly is more perverted than he wants to let on, but he keeps going like, I'm not into that, but... <laughs> But he talks about setting up this porno company called Dirty Filthy Sluts Inc. Maybe I, I get the feeling, Richard, that you did not enjoy this scene as much as I did. It didn't make any impression with me. Like, I mean, after I feel like after the um, once they like killed off the warden and left the house, the entire film just kind of like you know really just dropped for me. Oh god! Like it really like I feel like you know even like just getting to Mexico or whatever. Like I mean, because it's another motel scene. It's another like you know, um, because once they get like again like that leads directly into them getting to Mexico and like yeah. honestly god like, I couldn't tell you really what happens in the Mexico scene bar like you know they're there and someone just has a vendetta against them and like gets the cartel to get so, the cartel so they go to like, Mexico they go into this small very very shitty ass town and they find this motel that's run by Richard Edson as Carlos I love Carlos I think he's actually really cool mm. it also reminds me of the time that I, I uh, texted an ex saying that I was still in Carlo but it auto-corrected <laughs> to still in Carlos but they go out to this to this uh, town. They figure that they're going to be safe here. Uh, Pancho Muller, who, who oh, from thirty one, from thirty one, yeah. plays a little Nazi zombie or it, Nazi zombie Nazi it, it, a, a, killer, a Nazi Mexican. He played a uh, sickhead in thirty one. He's back as uh, he's back as Sebastian, the kind of like he's like a one eyed kind of guy who is the assistant of Pan- of uh, Carlos, um, who brings the bags in and stuff and. Um, Carlos introduces himself saying he kind of does everything in this town. He's the lawyer. He can be the undertaker. He can be everything, but he runs this town. He shows in the room, which is very shitty looking. And he mentions that he's also got like tree ladies. He also runs a brothel, which is the brothel of the town, which is these tree women. It's day of the dead. There's a party going on. Um, they settle in. We've learned that Carlos calls up Aquarius, who is the son of, uh, of Danny Trejo's character. He runs a cartel called the Black Satans, but I mean, we're not really told it's a cartel, but we kind of figured that out. Um, He's played by Emilio Riviera, who you would have known as the leader of the Mayans on Sons of Anarchy. And uh, he's only 17 years Danny Trejo's junior as well. But 
then it's he kind of Carlos says like I'll do you a deal I'll keep them here for a few days and he's like oh I have tree coffins prepared then it's all it's the it's, it's the partying there's a a long kind of scene of of um of, of them partying on Day of the Dead mm. the knife trunk contest there's like a this long kind of like party sequence where it brings back in some of kind of the the split screen and kind of effects from House. I really enjoyed all this stuff, to be yeah. honest. Like, it was fine, but, like, and I mean, this is probably my biggest thing, gripe with the second half as well, because, I mean, it's probably a good 40 or 50 minutes of the film. Mm. And it, what it feels <clears> like <throat> is it feels like that scene in Devil's Rejects where they arrive at Ken Foray's block brothel. It's, it feels very uh, like it, uh, the outdoor fun town, yeah. or the frontier fun town. Kind it, of. Basically that extended out for about four or five times the length. And it feels, I don't know, it feels like it to me, because it just... Like again, like I, so the stuff that happens is grand, and I like where it ends up and all. But to me, that felt like that was a segment of the film, not a climax of the film. Yeah. And like again, like I don't know, I, I you get that setup of you know they've been betrayed or whatever. But I mean that we've seen that before in the last film. You know the people come and like you know go to try and get them. Like we've seen that in the last film, and the film went on from there to like some of the best scenes in it. Whereas in this one, you know you kind of you have your like your resolution with them like burning someone all this kind of thing, which we'll get into. Yeah. But um, it just. It just it felt like a pat, padding in a way, I guess almost, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on like you no, know, I mean, what did you think of that? I mean, what was your feelings on that second half? Because I mean, obviously, I didn't like the second half at all. Really, it just felt very drawn out and quite dull to me. Um, I enjoyed it plenty. Um, I really, really liked it. Um, I I love some of the stuff with um, I love some of the stuff with with uh, with with Foxy in the in the hotel room with with the uh, the prostitute who he goes where or in the room where he's. Mm. He's watching Lon Chaney's Hunchback of Notre Dame on the TV, and he kind of references that, or he, he does an impression of that. I love his James Cagney impression that he does, because Foxy does terrible impressions. <laughs> I love his James Cagney impre- impression early in the movie. There's a, there's a nice moment where kind of Baby says to Otis, like, is it worth it? And he's like, is what worth it? It's like, she's like, all of it. And it's like, she's like, oh, you're thinking about Cotter. And he's like, oh, Cotter, the spalling had a good run. And it's kind of this moment of like, I like that because it's like an acknowledgement of like their life is so crazy and it's like and so insane and it's like but like I'm not trying to suggest they they killed people and did all this horrible stuff because it was the only option but in a way like Baby definitely has never lived, known another life other than this and this life is is hard in a way and is keeping them on the road you know and it's, it's kind of keeping them outside of, of, of society mm. kind of as outlaws kind of thing but that that outlaw life wears you down as well like I, I like that kind of scene um, Sebastian and Baby kind of have a bit of a kind of budding romance which is like the last thing that I expected in a sequel to The Devil's Rejects was like mm. any kind of hint of a romance but I really like because there's a scene where um, the morning after Pancho uh, brings up rice and beans to her and they're talking and she says uh, you remind me of Tiny um, which is probably a weird thing for a girl to say I guess <laughs> yeah. um, but says like Tiny Tiny um, Tiny thought that he was because he Sebastian you get the feeling he's kind of been the outcast of the town but uh, she says like oh like Tiny he thought he was ugly too but I thought he was beautiful and then the Black Satan show up and that's kind of where the rest of the movie goes is, is you know the Black Satan show up we learn that these uh, Sebastian runs around to tell the other guys uh, and then like they show up the black satans are like dressed in most of them are dressed in uh, they're all dressed in uh, in white I believe yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're wearing these like luchador masks with satanic symbols on them and uh, except for uh, Emilio Riviera's character who has the one black mm. uh, mask his mask is slightly different and they're gonna kill them and, and, and put them in the coffins 
And isn't one of the weird, interesting things is like one of them is actually played by Danny Trejo, isn't that right? Yeah, one of them is played by Danny Trejo, Weirdly. but you'll never know uh, yeah. because Danny, Danny, uh, Danny wanted to do more. Yeah, it's a weird thing though because I mean, like his character, his role in the film feels like a truncated cameo, and like you know. Kind of like, a, oh, we'll have His your character in. So we'll get short. And it's like, it's there, it's gone. And it's like, so I thought like, okay, well, they got him in for a day, whatever. And the fact that he was in, in this other sequence, it looks like he was probably there for a few days. It's like, I like the f- could they not have included his character in a better way instead of mm-hmm. that other way? Like, why not get fucking Diamond Dallas Page in to do the role Love on the chain the guy, you know? Batman, that would be cool. Because that would have been great. You have that happen and then you have like, you know, um, I can't remember, is it Rondo? What's his name? Rondo. Rondo, like down in Mexico, you know, and like, you know, at this town when these people arrive and he recognizes them or something like that or knows they've killed his partner performer partners with that yeah. no, I mean like okay you know it's it's shit to kind of criticise a film on what it could have been in a way so uh, yeah, like, I, I genuinely don't stuff. like doing but, that to be honest like. but um, like it's just that feeling of like again the film just there's just so little in this long chunk I mean like again it's like a 50 minute chunk it doesn't feel like it has a lot I remember watching the film in the first like half like with all the documentary the prison yeah. the like warden's house all this stuff I remember looking at the time on the fil- on the disc and it was somewhere like 40 minutes in or something I was like Jesus that feels like a lot is in that 40 minutes in a lot of ways it's an hour and I, 50 minutes around that, about that yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I thought it felt like the film was uh, like at that point it's like Jesus in a way it feels like there's been so much so quick but at the same time it feels like the film should almost be over and then, like, you know, I mean, maybe that's why in my mind, maybe it was 80 minutes or something like that, getting into, like, the Mexico stuff and all. Cause you, but, again, like you say, you have a little bit of characters, like, reflecting and stuff like that. But then you don't have anything beyond that. Like, they, it's a real shallow reflection, you know? Because, mm. like, once the action starts, they just go back into, like, you know, go kill people. And, like, it, it ends up with them, you know, burning... Um, Emilio, 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 Aquarius, uh, yeah. Yeah, burning him alive, which is a cool end and all that to him, but... It's a really cool like, fact. It's, it's well done. Like, yeah, that, it's, that, it's that, simple. That, it's very Wickerman-esque. Like. Yeah, yeah, how that's done, like, and then you can see that on the Blu-ray, like, how that's done is quite well. I believe, like, the the very big uh, kind of member of the... of the I think the Hell Satans from Simpsons, of the Black Satans who fights out, is he's played by a... Uh, by a former basketball player, mm. which does make his like Mexican accent slightly. <laughs> he's actually white, which makes his Mexican accent slightly questionable. But however, um, I know some people have like have like taken have like some critics have kind of suggested like, is it the best, the best idea? The thing is, you know, what, actually, I'm not even going to get into that debate. Uh, some people have kind of suggested that it's it's not it's not very uh, tasteful at the minute with what's going on in America with with politics to have these characters you know laying waste to a load of latino characters but a they're kind of almost portrayed to be inhuman because they're wearing masks and everything and b this is a sequel to the devil's rejects like uh, you know what i mean but i mean it kind of in that kind of vein it kind of goes in that hostile territory of like you know america versus the outside world or america and like the american lens of the world like i mean mexico is just like it's luchadors and drugs and stuff like that and like and the sepia tone of the world you know as opposed to like you know what mexico actually is you know I mean, maybe, maybe that was something intentional. I, I don't know. In a way, I feel like maybe it's just more like a kind of callback to the kind of the grindhouse. And I think like, it is yeah. the kind of um, like mad uh, Mexican films that are or horror films that are out there and all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the the, the luchador mask is definitely a, a kind of a tribute to, yeah. to those kind of movies. But there's there's another kind of there's a nice scene where where uh, where Foxy is with one of the girls and he, he tells her that he's gonna take her away from Mexico and put her in the movies and she goes oh Hollywood and he goes something like that <laughs> obviously thinking about dirty filthy sluts yeah. incorporated um, 
there's like a, a kind of a moment where uh, where baby just before the hell uh, just before the just before the black Satan show up there's a moment where baby puts on uh, in a god of Davida by uh, iron butterfly or in the garden of Eden by Elrond butterfly if we all remember from the Simpsons and uh, that's like that's great and that song's really awesome and it really works it does feel a little bit like let's I think there's some great songs in this movie there's a the song during the kind of party sequence is really cool. Um, there's a, It finishes with another Terry Reid song over the end. Because Terry Reid's... Uh, I, being the mad bastard that I am, uh, spent a considerable amount of money on the uh, two-disc vinyl set from uh, from Waxworks of The Devil's Rejects. And it ends with the uh, Terry Reid... Uh, the Terry Reid song Seed of Memory, which is on the... The, the song at the very end of Devil's Rejects during the actual end credits after Freebird and everything has ended um, which is great and you can't get that song's actually very hard to get on it's not on Spotify there's only a live version on Spotify and it's not really like the version that's in the movie so that's it I love listening to that but um, and it, it ends with another Terry Reid song anyway and uh, there's another David Essex song like Rock On was in Devil's Rejects that's on in this movie but using the 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 um in a god of the vita it kind of com- it really works because it comes in and out as, as actions happen yeah. it does feel like another attempt to make another yeah. iconic rock song yeah. moment like well, with-, with that song like and this is annoying because i mean i know that that song is whatever 20 minutes long so i was like okay so is this entire sequence not gonna be 20 minutes long but like as well though for me and i i remember i think rob zombie himself said this is like you know if you kind of if, if a song is in a film and it's doing well then like the basically Manhunter. that's what that film owns and that's exactly what I was going to say like Manhunter like owns that song you know I mean like Inigo de Vida works so perfectly for that last sequence that seeing it in another film is like yeah it's okay you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so all I can think of now is like Manhunter or The Simpsons you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's like what we said is like like um, Freebird will always belong to the end of Rejects yeah you know absolutely I mean? like, yeah I, I like it like there's there's then there's a lot of stuff of them fighting up the the uh, Black Satans um, yeah <laughs> but like, just to even look at the way we were talking about the film like I mean you were kind of going like like scene by scene or sequence by sequence of the first half of the film then once you get past the motel and they get to Mexico it really is just like you know introspection yeah. and then you know Mexican cartel shootout kind of thing Otis gets um, into a car with Poncho and there's a I, like, I love like uh, 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 not Poncho it gets into Otis gets into a car with Carlos and as I said I really like Carlos I like his whole spiel I think the way that he's acted is really funny and he's really cool but like but bit where he tries to argue to Otis like I only did it for the money man mm. and then Otis like opens up on him with the AK and it's like again it's like oh Otis says he's gonna let him go and then he kills him mm. um, and then yeah uh, Foxy gets taken by the uh, by the by the Black Satans they have uh, uh, Aquarius and one of his big men have uh, have Foxy and Baby and they're telling uh, Otis to come out Oh, it comes out, and then this is where the moment was in the trailer where Baby goes, "Kill him, kill all." That's yeah. in that moment. Um, Otis tries to say, "It's all me. You're gonna have to uh, let them go." Uh, Otis fights one of the guys. Uh, uh, Sebastian shows up. He releases them. Sebastian gets killed. Not a lot of time spent on. <laughs> Nobody seems very sad that Sebastian got killed, even though Baby really liked him. And yeah, they take Aquarius. They put him in a coffin. Yeah, they burn him. Which is a great way to kind of end it, but and then because it almost directly goes straight. Is it does it almost directly go from that, or is there a moment before it goes back to something very similar to Devil's Rejects, where it's the rolling hills and the music? Yeah, coming. they they get into the car and then it's a few black and white shots of them driving. And Baby is actually driving the car now, mm. finally, which they're afraid of doing. 
and uh, then it goes into the Rolling Hills, which I believe is actually footage that was shot for Devil's Rejects. I was thinking it seemed like it was those hills, all right. Yeah, and, and it's the song. Play. And I love that Terry Reid song at the end. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, but that's the that's the end of the movie. And there's a tree-legged dog. I, I felt <laughs> oh, yeah. like I had to mention the tree-legged dog because I love the tree-legged dog. Yeah. And the tree-legged dog is a thing in Ken Loach movies. You know, Ken Loach always has a tree-legged dog walk by in his movies, which may or may not serve as a metaphor for the eternal struggle of the working class. Um, I don't believe it does in this second. Apparently, it was somebody's. It was somebody in the cruise tree-legged dog that they brought to set, and it got involved. Yeah, that's. I mean, they didn't actually shoot in Mexico, did they? They probably shot California area for this. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's a very small kind of like I don't know what it was, whether it was an actual town or was a kind of mm. set that they came into. Some of like the murals and stuff. Like it's worth watching the the the, the documentary because it it shows you a level of the investment that's involved in the movie, like in terms of the amount of work that went in, in terms of art direction and. Mm in terms of art direction and stuff like that but yeah that is um that is true from hell and as i as i talk through it i realized that you can kind of speed talk through this movie um so i hope it's not a case of like in talking about this film i've realized how actually less i like it but i <laughs> <laughs> but like just think about it again like the, i think it's easy enough to say the first half whether or not it like you know jumps out at someone like it, it's still it's like you know it's a grand like you know as a sequel to devil's rejects goes it's kind of what you'd expect and kind of what works and especially from someone who's gone on to make something like 31 but then the second half like it's either too long to be in this film and the character none of the character stuff pays off because there's no resolution for characters in most ways and you know you have characters who are introduced just be kind of you know got rid of in that section mm -hmm. So it's either it's too short to be in there, or sorry, it's too long to be in there as its own thing, uh, or as part of this film, and needed more something else to go after it, or else it like it's something that should have been its own movie. You know, they arrive in the town and like you know you have the full on western where it's like the strangers in the town. You build up the tensions of all these people coming and arriving, and like you know, so you have the proper shootout and you have the relationship straight the entire movie. But it's a movie absolutely. You could cut it down almost literally down the middle, and you have two separate movies in there that yeah, are about yeah, fifty yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. each. It seems like I said it. It, it feels like a story that was just farted out, but uh, can't say I didn't enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, I mean, this is it. Like, I, as much as I was like underwhelmed by it, I'm gonna say for, by the second half. I'm still glad that the film is there and I feel like, you know, coming out of it, I go like, okay, you know, they can make another one and because... I'd be quite happy to watch another yeah, one. Yeah, I'd be happy. Especially I, now that I know Richard Brake, I'd be a bit more used to him in it. If they had pulled a them nearly getting killed again, I would have, I would have like, fuck yeah. that. But like, the fact that it ends with them getting off into the sunset, I'm yeah. kind of here for it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would love another one that would kind of properly maybe try and steer clear of the, the, the trappings of like the yeah. shadow of the devil's rejects, you know? maybe try and be its own thing a little bit more, be a little bit like, you know, maybe a smaller movie or some of that, you know, where it doesn't have to be them on a big road trip across the place or some of yeah, that, you yeah, know? Because, yeah. I mean, the film, like, maybe it's just because it's a bit, like, I don't, I mean, there's only three films and the first one was very different, so formulaic doesn't sound appropriate to say, but it does have so much um, in tandem or so much, like, reflection with uh, Devil's Rejects that it is all just so familiar but not as good, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like, it's it's so different. I will say like I like some of Zeus's music during the the documentary stuff or Zeus Zeus during the documentary stuff. Sometimes during like some of the action sequences at the end, it feels too like cheap action movie music, mm -hmm. and that really I I didn't like that to be honest. Yeah, well I miss John Five, but I'm at John Five, you <laughs> know, John Five star, for yeah. life, you know. I I didn't I didn't like some of that to be honest. I mean it's it's very di it's a very different film, and even seeing them as kind of like. Yeah, there was an antagonist in the Devil's Rejects, and and, and the yeah. uh, officer Wydell was definitely Sheriff Wydell. He was he was he was the antagonist, um, and, 
but it's different in this movie. It's almost like them more so just being heroes fighting against these these bad guys. And yeah, they killed his dad, but like the 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 black satans are much more clearly bad guys. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas I, I I as we discussed, you know, Wydell does horrible stuff in the, in the second movie, but you know they're not like cartel leaders who kill people. He's not a cartel leader who kills people. He's not much clearly able to write off as a yeah as a bad dude like like um like Aquarius is and like I kind of enjoy that kind of action stuff and then them fighting the goods there's a nice scene there's a scene where um where uh where Otis has has uh where Foxy rescues Otis and uh then there's like a a black Satan who's still kind of clinging to life and uh Otis takes the gun and just starts smashing uh the dude's head in and it's like just this um, i love this shot on foxy where he's just kind of grinning just loving watching mm-hmm. otis break his head it's it's so brutal and it's like that was in the trailer and that was one of the moments that sold me and i was like i was i'm so in love with bits like that and it's like there's there's these occasional tastes of like of of the of the brutality that i enjoy but like there's a lot like a lot that i like about this film mm. more than than 31 more than 31 i would say I think for me, I feel like 31 was like a kind of cohesive film in itself, even though it's like very light on the plot. Yeah. Whereas this one, I think it's just because maybe it's just like for me, it starts off so well and then just kind of stumbles so well in my, again, my view, kind of stumbles so dramatically. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, like the Rob Zombie, like, you don't, I don't know. Like, did, did he want to make this movie? Do you I think, think he did. You know? Yeah, no, I think he did. I think he did. Like, do you think he wanted to make this, like, okay, he wanted to make the movie, but did he want to make this movie once Sid was kind of having to be out of the picture you know I mean is this still that movie that he was trying to want to make you know that's a a good question I think so I miss Spalding Mm. and uh, I I, as much as I I love Foxy but I I, I miss Spalding but you know like with an ongoing comic book that I would read I feel like I'm, I'm here for seeing further adventures of these characters at the same time I hope that you know I hope that we get a third film but by the our fourth film fourth yeah by the looks of it, I mean, I'd say maybe it'd be a few years, but I think there's a very real possibility of that. Oh yeah, I'd say I'd say it's almost definite. I'd say it's almost gonna be on zombie if he wants to do it. Because you know? this is a low budget movie, but you know, and in the states they did um, they did limited. There was like a few screenings over a few. I'm so sad that there was no screenings here. I know what a fucking bummer. <laughs> there was one in the Electric in London, like, and I was on a night that I got into London. Literally, I was flying in they said oh there's a free screening of the movie oh. at the electric and I was like fuck but you know it it, it it did so well over those few nights and I do you remember like Kevin Smith tweeting that he loved it and that <laughs> yeah. it was his biggest influence on Red State which I don't think he's lying like no, I, no. I think he genuinely loves loves uh, zombie stuff oh he said Devil's Rejects was his biggest influence on Red State yeah I could see which that which I can right. see yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it did so well over those few nights the limited screens and people got that super fucking fly looking poster <laughs> with the tree knives but uh, super fly I've apparently gone into a <laughs> zombie uh, 70s set movie dig it <laughs> It, it did so well over those three nights that yeah. they did. They added another screening, so I'd say it's 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 oh, yeah. done well because I know with thirty one, it did so well on its first night on in demand that the next day they said do you want to do a sequel because like, uh, I I know that like with um with uh with Lords of Salem he pushed for a theatrical release even though Anchor Bay were like there's it's not gonna make the money back, mm. and he pushed for a theatrical release and it's the only film that hasn't been in profit. 
Now, you, I think you said this before, and I mean, I he's definitely gone out and said the exact opposite, that it was actually mad popular on uh, things like DVD and stuff for that, that it made a lot of money. Oh, okay. Maybe I have, but I know that after that, he decided he wasn't going to push for wide theatrical for his Yeah, well, that, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, wide theatrical for most films that aren't big tentpoles at this point is kind of, it's a, it, not even an uphill battle. It's like, a, it's fucking Russian roulette, you know, with yeah. five bullets in the gun. No, it's, it's like, you know yourself, like, just, okay, hopefully, you know, I don't mean, hopefully you will know the struggle soon, <laughs> but, like, theatrical screenings for independent films for horror films but for independent films in general are incredibly yeah. hard to do oh, listen, like difficult. I, I went to see Extra Extraordinary in um, the really I enjoyed it by the way amazing film really I loved it it was it. great but I mean I'd say there was maybe five of us in the cinema and I think this was the second or third week and one of the big catalysts for going was the filmmakers had tweeted that this is probably the last weekend it's going to be I in the cinema. I saw it on the last uh, I saw it on the last Thursday yeah. that it showed in the OFI. Yeah, and like I was delighted I saw it because again like, I really enjoyed it and all like, I wish people would go see films like that more but you know I mean I can't you know you can't fault people for going like you know there's a lot of films and they, it costs a lot to go to the cinema and like you know if you have a family it's an awful lot of expenses as well in terms of tickets and feeding or baby yeah. or child minders and stuff. You know, it's I I'm just I, I think we're in a good age for filmmakers though to be able to not have to rely on like you know cinematic release and I think I don't think there's that stigma of like video on demand is not no it's not uh, what it used video. to be like that's it like I mean things like all Rob Zombie's things Kevin Smith's all of his last things have all like pretty much gone Are straight you going to DVD to the, to the screening on the thirtieth I way. I don't think I'm going to the third I think I'm going to a screen on the 29th in, oh, okay in View View have a screening going on oh, I'm going to the one in Lighthouse ah yeah I'm going, I'll see it the day before you <laughs> I spoil it all <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob are in it um, <laughs> yeah no I can't wait for that but um yeah that's I mean Rob Zombie. I, I've noticed, uh, sorry, I've, I've noticed some independent films are doing, are releasing in the UK anyway through a thing called Our Screen, where they only put on the screenings if there's a certain amount of tickets sold, hmm. and that's kind of an interesting way of doing things, which I think is probably quite cost effective in that regard. Yeah, there's like, there was, what's it, uh, there was a thing in America that, that was quite big there, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but like, I, we, when we did our film The O'Briens in America, we did through that, so basically, you know, someone tries to host a screening and people will kind of... Yeah, like you say, you have to pre-sell a certain amount of seats and all, and then a cinema will actually do it. And if you sell more, they'll put into a bigger screen, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, it's fucking, it's perfect. Like, it's ideal for, That's... you know, it's, a, like, a, a risk-free way of doing it in a lot of ways. Um, But, like, it's just, I mean, filmmaking with, like, online, with piracy, with the amount of people making films, with streaming, it's just, it's such, a, it's a hard battle to actually make films with any sort of quality, of any sort of money. And the amazing thing is, well, like, what a lot of people aren't seeing in a way is, like, you know, the budget that they probably had to make uh, Three From Hell is pr- like probably considerably less than what they had to make Devil's Rejects, yeah. which was probably, which was considerably less than what they had to make House of a Thousand which Corpses. Which was also shot on film, and yeah. Tree from Hell is not. Yeah, and it, it looks absolutely like the post conversion that they did on it all looks absolutely. Like, I I don't think you can see a difference between that no. and the film. And I mean, like we were talking about this earlier on because we were talking about Bliss and the fact Bliss that, that was shot in sixteen. Class, though. by the way, Bliss is a fucking Joe incredible Vegas film. Is Bliss, it's amazing. I Joe don't know Vegas. what to describe Baby Vegas. I don't know what to describe <laughs> it as. Aside from like a Gaspar Noe vampire movie, <laughs> and I know people have compared it to the addiction, which I have not seen, but you know what, Ryan? Or sorry, you've gone. No, go on. No, go on. Uh, it reminded me an awful lot of um, fuck, what's the vampire film by Larry Fessenden's Habit? Oh, I haven't and, seen Habit. Oh, uh, it's good, but like the thing is, like I mean, that's very much of its time, and this is very much of its time as well. But like, whereas that was very nineties, this, this is very twenty yeah, tens yeah, yeah, yeah. or like tw- tw- like go coasting on to twenty twenty, and it has like you know this is like a, a certain moment in time. It's an yeah. insanity that's not going to be replicated. Absolute you know, fucking generation yeah. fuck yeah. downtown LA druggy vampire movie that I just absolutely love like see that on the biggest screen that you can because yeah. it's like I don't it's even intense. know if that like 
it, I, I don't know what sort of screenings that's getting because I know it's come out on Blu-ray in America. And yeah. I think it might have gone straight to VOD, which again that's very yeah, common. Yeah, had some screenings in America. Yeah. yeah and again, yeah, yeah. like the very limited run, which is again probably a smart enough idea, is like you know do limited run, put in places where people will go and see it, so people can make their money. Because I mean, again, you, you could end up like films do over here, where you know you put these smaller films in that cost money to have them in the cinemas. Yeah. And no one's going. Like you know, you're getting like you're having to spend a couple of thousand trying to put a film on into a mm-hmm. screen, and you're getting like five people in there. And you know, and half of that's going straight to the cinema. You're not getting anything. Well, I mean, you you would know yourself, but it seems in many ways like the traditional model doesn't make sense anymore. Oh no! Booking uh, an entire cinema for how many ever people you don't know how many people mm. are going to show up for a film like that just doesn't seem to make sense. Doing these long runs of films, yeah, that where no one's going to see them doesn't make sense. Whereas you could sell it directly to people who you know are going to want to see it and, and that seems to make more and I love the theatrical experience and I love I love seeing something like the fact that Horathon like thank you Ed King and, and Lorcan and everyone for putting on Bliss at Horathon like I love getting to see things on the big screen but at the same time the traditional method is not working and I, I, I definitely see I see for example I, I see how for a filmmaker for example just selling your own selling product directly to people must be appealing rather than fucking with distribu- distributors who can bu- uh, bu- have a record of not being the, the easiest to deal no, with. Well, you that's know? it. Like you're giving it over for a little bit of cash with the, like the hope of more in the future that you're never going to get it in these no days. Cash I mean, fucking look at, as everyone knows, like Return of the Jedi technically never made money because of creative accounting and it's only gotten worse. I mean, there's certain filmmakers that I've talked to who have like note- noteworthy films and they basically said because of streaming, like no one can account for anything because they keep they keep it so hush hush. Yeah. Distributors have certain figures, but they keep things hush hush. So yeah. basically, the people who get fucked is the filmmakers, you know. And but, I mean, people get pissed off about like why can't I watch the film here? I'm just gonna stream it then or download. It's like, well, no. If you're streaming or downloading, it just means these people are getting even less money to make things. Yeah. I mean, fucking go like like legally stream it, so at least that couple of quid is going to someone yeah. that can they can go make another film, you know. If you support the things you love, if you want to support a film, pay for it seriously. And I'm not gonna. I I don't. I don't agree. I don't. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you not to stream something like Tree from Hell, which has already happened. If it's a few weeks out from when you can see it here legally, because I know that people will. But like, if you like something and if you want to support it, pay for it in some way, because you may think that it's just the only people that are being hurt by that is you know big companies. But those big companies will then give filmmakers less money to make films. And from what I've seen, especially with the with the tra- with the the trasher kind of like low end distributors, from what I've heard is they will not for people nothing up front for films anymore. No. Um, they're almost treating it as if they're doing you a favor by taking your movie and mm. putting it on any kind of platform. Um, one person who I know has made some film money from film but nothing near the level that they invested in it. Yeah. And that's when they told me that they had made some money, I was surprised, you know, yeah. like this is the world that we live in. Blind boy recently on his podcast talked about how people come up to him and say, people say to him, you know, you had a song in train spotting too. You must be minted. And he's like, I made 14 quid from that, <laughs> you know? So like, it, it is what it is. Like, but, um, some people always get their cut, but it's not the people you want to be getting their cut. No, uh, you know, the, the, the debt of these creative industries, I'm uh, you know, sorry if I'm becoming Randy Joe and I'm going <laughs> off topic, but the debt of these creative industries hasn't meant democratization of them. The debt of the music industry has not meant that there's been a democratization and money is going back to the artists. It's still record labels who are invested in Spotify who are making the only book that's still going. It's yeah. still the companies and CEOs are still making money. Um, well, that's it. I mean, it's the same thing. system crush capitalism. 
That's it. I mean, these people are always going to get the same money that they always wanted to get. They'll get rid of other people if it means that they keep the same money and they'll keep the artists there, but they'll give the artists less and less saying that the money's not there to give it to them while they keep getting the same. And I mean, it's the same for pensions. It's the same for everything. I mean, again, like you say, capitalism, that's how it works, you know? Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Rob Zombie? (laughs) (laughs) So is that all you got to kind of say on uh, on Tree From Hell? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, I I think I'm fairly clear on my feelings of it. Like, again, happy it's there enough. You know, it was good to see these characters again. If you were to use Letterboxd, what rating would you give it? I'd say I'd probably give it somewhere kind of around a 2.5, you know? Oh, wow, okay. Like, I can't... It's Letterbox Ouch. out of 5, is it? It's out of 5, yeah. yeah. You, you shouldn't be allowed to do it out of 5 if you're allowed to put a point something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Because, like, I'd say the first ha- first part of it, I probably would go m- up to 4. Yeah. But then, the, like, the last section, it goes down to a 2, just Fair. because there's so... Okay. There's no substance to it, really. Um, Not enough substance, anyway, for... Fair uh, point. Yeah. And, again, yeah. Again, I don't... I'm, Maybe I've I've gone over my line of like not judging a like shouldn't judge a film on what it could have been or whatever as opposed to what it is and for me what it's it is is just though. missing yeah well like I, I absolutely this movie. yeah well I absolutely feel like I went in without expectations as best I could because you know I was expecting yeah well my expectations were to go like this is gonna be terrible just yeah because, no my you know. expectations were tempered by how bad some of the it had some terrible reviews I had some decent ones though yeah. and it seemed like if you looked at the Rob Zombie Reddit there's there were some people who really liked it. And like Super Horror Bros, they really, that podcast, they really like it. And there's a few people who really, really like it, but there, it also had some trash reviews and some people hated it. Yeah. So by the time I got around to watching the movie, which is a little bit after some people, and you saw it after me because you've been <laughs> such yeah. a busy man. Holy shit. Like I had that fucking DVD sitting there for weeks before I could watch it. Um, <laughs> I just about stayed awake to be able to watch these all. My expectations were tempered. So I think when I first watched it, I, my expectations were lowered. So I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I still like it, but it's lost that point at that point five you know um, who knows how long how much it would keep but then I, I kind of think I'm like how how much how many times does every heart film have to have that repeat value that much and Devils definitely does but I mean if I keep kept watching it and I kept my expectations kept or my, my feelings kept kind of changing does that negate the actual initial reaction that I have I don't know I, th- I think not every film has to be as rewatchable as 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 everything you know so no absolutely like i'm glad it's not a film i go like i wish it didn't exist it's a film i will rewatch and i'll probably see things in it another time that i'll enjoy if people said to me i i i wish there was never a sequel to devil's rejects i'd go fair point because <laughs> <laughs> it does cheapen yeah, rejects well, in a lot of ways like yeah. no doubt well i mean you know they all died this is like that split second between the bullet going in and the brain yeah, death yeah, happening yeah. you know i mean that's why they're fucking in mexico and like it's the fucking ridiculous luchadors and yeah Ooh, oh, hold on. Crazy fan theory here. Oh, we're getting into headcanon now, are we? Well, you know, um, it could be. Yeah. So whose would it be? Would it be Spalding? No. I guess, no, it'd probably have to be Baby because we focus on her an awful lot in the film. Yeah, no, I, th- I, think, it would, I think it would definitely be Baby more than anyone. Yeah. She's the one who's going through the, the mental, uh, the mental yeah. conflict. All right, all right. Movie. Now that we have that established as what this actually is, it's not really a sequel. It's more like that that blip before Side the end cool. credits Side of cool. uh, Rejects yeah. you know you know, five star film love it <laughs> um, Richard uh, do you want to plug anything where people can follow you or where people can follow your movie yeah um, well I'm on Rich um, Twitter as Rich M Waters that's M for Michael and that's pretty much where I am as everything uh, the film is going to be coming out well god I don't know when like hopefully it'll be on a big screen at the end of next year but why year. can't we watch it Richard <laughs> Know, why can't we watch it now <laughs> just oh, get ready for people to ask you that for the next one I hope so fucking people ask me that oh, yeah, yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you to fuck up no um, no I'm really like you know we're 
we're well over halfway through filming it and I've already started getting lots of it together so I can't wait for people to actually see I think uh, maybe it's a good reaction too early a good reaction but my feeling is it's probably and I guess see what I don't know what kind of weight this holds for people but I think it's the best thing I've done anyway oh cool so hopefully other people will feel that you know oh, awesome. and again the efforts of everyone involved is kind of what makes that awesome so that's called Bring Out the Fear uh, there should be a Twitter of that as well. We'll see by the time this post if I've got that live. Uh, anything <laughs> like that, I can, I can link when yeah, I put the cool. episode out. Um, I would just like to say, look, I'm not going to get into a big modeling kind of thing now because I've kind of said what I I feel like I have to say about the um, about the end of the podcast. This felt like a necessary footnote. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll come back every time that Rob Zombie <laughs> has a new movie. Uh, it's just I like mean, a horror sequel. A, it's never really it could, over. It could be a few years, but like, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, thanks to everybody who I've had on. Thank- <coughs> Sorry, Aiden, Aiden, Malachi, Bren, Seamus, of course, and uh, any- anybody else who guessed it. And to everybody who listened, the aforementioned Aiden, uh, Stephen, and Jan uh, Strachan, everyone who, 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 who continues to listen to the podcast and who uh, showed me so much love. I am going to end this episode on the words of Mr. Sid Haig himself, who uh, on the DVD extras of House of a Thousand Corpses gave these uh, great words of advice for life. And uh, although he may quote Winston Churchill, who I'm not the biggest fan of, I think that, you know, you, you sometimes just have to appreciate the words nonetheless. So I will end with that. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I would like to add something to this. Um, this is kind of uh, just the release and the success of this film is kind of a, a testament to um, just being diligent and believing in what it is that you do and knowing somehow that there is a place for what it is that you have done and never giving up. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of your time and give Winston Churchill's graduating speech to Oxford University okay and this is the speech in its entirety never quit never 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 quit and there you have it folks <laughs>